Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. And Texas Governor Greg Abbott today declared an invasion on the southern border. In an unprecedented action, he's using the invasion clauses of both the U.S. and Texas's constitution to boost security at the border. Abbott plans to take a number of actions, including sending the National Guard to turn back migrants crossing the border illegally, building a border wall in several counties, and designating Mexican drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. The action is the first of its kind. Immigration and border security is mostly handled by the federal government, while states are limited to enforce immigration rules. 5.5 million illegal immigrants have crossed the U.S. since President Biden took office. That's according to Federation for American Immigration Reform. Now, this number includes those apprehended and the 1 million gotaways. That is, those who effectively evaded Border Patrol when crossing illegally. And to break down exactly what this action means and what impact it could have, we're happy to be joined by Andrew Arthur, a former immigration judge and a fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. All right, Art, thank you for joining us today. So as you know, Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced that Tuesday, um, today he's uh, invoking the invasion clause due to the illegal immigration surge. Um, so he'll be deploying the National Guard. Could you help our audience understand what exactly this means that the Texas governor is doing? Sure. And uh, just by way of background, uh, Governor Abbott has been uh, utilizing his state reform, uh, resources to respond to the migrant surge at the U.S.-Mexico uh, border along Texas, which is about 1,254 miles of the uh, 1,900, almost 2,000-mile border. So it's a pretty big piece of it. What Governor Abbott is doing uh, through this declaration is he's calling out the National Guard to send them down to the border uh, to deter migrants from entering the United States. He's uh, implementing maritime assets, boats, uh, state highway patrol boats, uh, and putting them on the Rio Grande to dissuade people from entering the United States. And uh, he is doing what he's been doing in the past, and that is using the state troopers to apprehend migrants who have entered the United States illegally. Now, it's important to understand, Abbott doesn't have the ability to deport uh, aliens from the United States, but he could certainly use his state assets to prevent individuals from entering the United States before they get in. You know, and earlier this year, Abbott took actions, you know, he issued an executive order telling state law enforcement to apprehend illegal immigrants uh, who illegally crossed. These are the state troopers I assume that you're uh, referring to. Uh, so why do you think Abbott waited so long to declare an invasion and invoke this invasion, the declaration of invasion? Yeah, there are a lot of people out there, uh, both in Texas and throughout the United States, who believe that the invasion clause is some sort of magic bullet that's going to enable uh, state governors, including Governor Abbott, to uh, physically deport people from the United States. Um, and again, uh, when polled by NPR, a majority of Americans who were polled actually believe that there is an invasion ongoing at the southwest border. The problem is only the federal government can deport aliens from the United States. Abbott, however, is putting his state resources and also the economic power of Texas behind his actions. Part of the invasion declaration uh, is 
uh, that the state government in Texas will use its economic might, and Texas is the ninth largest economy in the world, uh, to work with regional partners to dissuade migrants from crossing through Mexico and Central American countries on their way to the United States. So, uh, you know, Abbott's been taking measures ever since March of 2021 under the aegis of Operation Lone Star, which is the, uh, you know, state trooper Texas DPS action that I referred to before. Um, but, you know, with the additional National Guard resources, with uh, state diplomatic efforts, you know, Abbott is putting even more teeth into what's already been uh, a pretty tremendous effort on the part of the folks in Austin. So if he's been taking action this whole time, why now is he deciding to, deciding to take this further action? And do you think this will have a significant impact on curbing the border crisis or, you know, quelling that crisis? Yeah, I think there are actually a couple of reasons that uh, the governor has decided to take this action at this time. Uh, the first is we haven't seen the migrant flow slow down. In fact, uh, the latest CBP numbers for October aren't out. But uh, reporting is indicating it's going to be about 230,000 people, which is, you know, a factor of three or four greater than it was even last October, which wasn't exactly a very good month. Um, the other reason is that in the wake of the midterm elections, President Biden had indicated in a press conference he wasn't going to do anything differently uh, in 2023 and 2024. So I think that Biden, or that uh, Abbott realizes at this juncture that Texas stands alone uh, and that it has to take these additional actions in order to protect uh, you know, the citizens of the state of Texas and the citizens of the several states. Do you expect the Biden administration to push back against this? And if so, what kind of pushback do you expect to see? So uh, when uh, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey uh, began erecting containers along the southwest border in the Yuma Gap, he got a sharply worded letter from the Biden administration telling him to stop, and he didn't. He turned around and he sued uh, the Biden administration for not uh, actually taking action that it's required to at the border. I think that if the Biden administration attempts to push back on Governor Abbott's uh, efforts, it's going to end up uh, drawing a similar lawsuit in a very bad uh, district court system. The federal uh, district courts in Texas are very pro-enforcement by and large, uh, in a fifth, and in a Fifth Circuit that has shown itself more than willing to um, support the states in their efforts to protect themselves uh, against illegal immigration. And the Senate is preparing to take a bill to the floor that would require the federal government to recognize same-sex marriage if it was legal in the state where it was performed. It's garnered support from some Senate Republicans after amendments to protect religious freedom were added, but others say it still infringes on religious liberty. To discuss, we're joined by legal counsel at the Alliance Defending Freedom, Matt Sharp. Matt, thank you for joining me today on the Capitol Report. Thanks for having me. Of course. So uh, as you know, the Senate is getting ready to pass the Relig uh, Respect for Marriage Act. And your organization put out, uh, uh, sent a letter to Senate Minority Leader um, Mitch McConnell, you know, urging Republicans to vote against this. Um, I just want to know on the surface level, what is your take on this type of legislation and the implications, the legal implications it could have related to religious freedom here in America? Well, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act really is a disrespect to millions of Americans and organizations that still believe that marriage is the union between one man and one woman. 
And this law would give vast powers to the federal government, allowing it to, for example, go after the tax-exempt status of a religious nonprofit or to allow federal lawsuits to be filed against people of faith simply that want to live consistent with their view that marriage is between a man and a woman. So we're concerned about the implications this would have for so many people and the vast new powers that it's going to give to the federal government. So uh, cons speaking of this, the, the restrictions it could place on the nonprofit organizations, faith-based faith faith nonprofit organizations. Uh, so that was for the House version. I was actually looking at the Senate version. It looks like uh, Democrats were working with some Senate Republicans to make amendments, to propose amendments to this bill. Um, for example, Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, Susan Collins from Maine, and others. Um, and some of the amendments that they propose, they say that they're now protecting the nonprofit organizations and they're also protecting the religious liberty under constitution or federal law, um, including the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Considering these amendments that the Senate has placed in this bill, do you still think it, uh, it, it kind of infringes on the constitutional rights of religious Americans? Yeah, we do. We, we've seen some of these amendments and really what they do is pay lip service to religious liberty. They would still result in many faith-based organizations being exposed to costly federal lawsuits for acting consistent with their beliefs that uh, marriage is between one man and one woman. Um, it still creates lots of other concerns when you are redefining marriage and the trickle-down effects that that would have. Um, we've seen some proposals like from Senator Lee that have much more robust protections for religious liberty, but the bill itself is fundamentally flawed. When we redefine marriage, as we saw many states do, as we saw happen in Obergefell, it has long-term consequences for people of faith. People like Alliance Defending Freedom client Jack Phillips, uh, the Colorado cake artist who is being sued repeatedly, or Lori Smith, uh, who's also from Colorado and is being forced to design custom websites about marriage that violate her beliefs. So this bill itself is fundamentally flawed and, uh, flawed and no amount of amendments or anything like that can fix those flaws with it and the threat it poses to religious liberty. Yeah, and two follow-ups on that. So you mentioned that uh, a bill like this would have trickle-down effects. If you could elaborate, what are those trickle-down effects? Yeah, so one example would be a, a faith-based adoption provider. Uh, there's many of those that believe children thrive best in a home with a married mother and father. But because they operate uh, in conjunction with the state in many of the instances, this could allow the federal government to come in and tell that faith-based adoption provider, you must violate your beliefs about marriage. You must place children in homes with same-sex couples, even though that violates your beliefs about what's best for a child. And so those are just some of the examples of the type of consequences that could flow from this. There's many other social service organizations that likewise could be impacted by it. And nothing in the amendments, nothing that has been talked about would resolve those underlying threats to religious liberty that th this bill poses. So could you help our audience understand how exactly a federal law like this would impact those religious um, Americans and open them up to these types of lawsuits? Yeah, we've seen many states that have passed state laws like this. And these have been the laws in the state level that have been used to go after Jack Phillips or Baron L. Stutzman or other faith-based organizations across the country that Alliance Defending Freedom has been defending those individuals. Well, for the first time, we've now got a federal lawsuit available, a federal cause of action where you've got the Senate and the House would be saying, we want you to go after and sue these organizations. We want you to go after them because they just want to operate consistent with their belief that marriage is between a man and a woman and file costly uh, lawsuits against them, lawsuits that, that these organizations, they don't have the, the 
time. They don't have the, the financial ability to stand against all of those. You know, our, our First Amendment protects our right to free speech and our right to exercise our religion. And what this is doing is sending a message from Congress that if you hold certain beliefs that Congress disagrees with, you're going to be exposed to lawsuit. You may be losing your tax exempt status or face other federal penalties or consequences for that. And that is repugnant to our First Amendment. Our, our Constitution reigns supreme. And laws like this that trample those freedoms, that tell Americans that believe marriages between a man and a woman, beliefs that the Supreme Court itself said are held by honorable and decent people, but it tells them that they don't deserve protection, that they ought, she ought to be punished by the federal government. That ought to trouble all of us. And that's why Alliance Defending Freedom is going to continue to stand against this bill and can stand against any efforts to go after people of faith under it. Okay, thank you for your insights. Matt Sharp with Alliance Defending Freedom. Thanks so much. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.